Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. So I'm super excited today. We've got a um, long-time friend, someone I've known for many, many years, a professor in electrical machines and power electronics, Volker Pickett, um, in to talk about his work and the interesting research that they're doing at Newcastle University and various challenges facing um, electric vehicle manufacturers. Volker's been involved in vehicle electrification for longer than I have, um, many, many years. Um, really interesting guy. So um, we spent uh, quite a lot of time talking and I, I really hope you find uh, today's episode interesting. Uh, okay, so we're here with, um, with Volker Pickett, who's a professor of power electronics and the head of the electrical power group at Newcastle University. Um, so, so Volker, do you want to just um, tell us how, how you got here, a yeah. bit about yourself? Yeah, no problem. Well, thank you, Ryan. Um, yeah, so uh, as I said, I'm professor of power electronics at Newcastle University, and I'm at Newcastle University since 2003. Wow. Now, um, originally I'm German. I was born in a town called Wolfsburg. And for those who don't know where Wolfsburg is, Wolfsburg is uh, in the north of Germany between Berlin and Hannover. Mm. And um, it has uh, a population of 180,000 people and 55,000 people are working for one factory. <laughs> and the name of the factory is Volkswagen, so VW. Yeah. So you need to imagine 55,000 people going into work and 55,000 people going out of work every day. Wow. Um, so that means effectively every second person uh, works for the factory and the other second or the other half um, are working then for the supply chain. Right. So you work in or you grow up in an environment um, where your destiny is already written on your forehead. And that means uh, <laughs> something it has to be to do something with uh, cars. And I choose to work uh, on electric and hybrid electric cars. Mm. And that's what I did now for the last 25 years. Um, so um, I wow. have industrial experience. Um, so I worked for Volkswagen. I worked also for another company um, in uh, Nuremberg. And uh, then I decided uh, to, um, yeah, to do an academic career. And uh, since 2003, now I'm at Newcastle University mm. and uh, became then professor and um, then also the head of the group, um, the Electrical Power Group, which is a large group, uh, by the way. It counts now nearly up to 100 researchers. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I'm quite proud, obviously, of leading this group. And what, what kind of work do you do in that Electrical Power Group? Okay, so the group itself um, is, let's say, subdivided in four subgroups. Um, so uh, one is um, power electronics, the other subgroup is electric machines, yeah. the third one is uh, electric drives and control, and the fourth one is called uh, power systems. And um, the group, the, what I like on the group is we have an equal balance of people within each of the subgroups. Uh, meaning there's an equal number of PhD students, an equal number of academics, but also an equal number of postdocs. Um, and um, having them all under one umbrella um, allows us obviously to um, 
to do cross-disciplinary activity. So yeah. effectively, knowledge is transferred between these four main groups, uh, which is very beneficial for our projects. And it, it's such, a, I guess, such an in interrelated. You know, you can't really do electrical machines now without doing power electronics. The two are so that's right. in, in, intrinsically linked to each other. Yeah, that's right. You need to, uh, you need to have <laughs> effectively you need to have a good conversation with those who understand the other half, <laughs> uh, and you need to merge them together. And um, uh, so within, although we have these subgroups, but then we are building teams which yeah. are then working on individual projects. Um, and that works uh, quite well. So um, also it is quite exciting for the uh, postdocs and RAs um, because they work effectively on different projects. Yeah. And that is quite helpful for them uh, to build more knowledge, but yeah. also for their future career to find a job. Wow. So, so I often say to people that we started AVID before electrification was fashionable. Right. But that's only 14 years ago. Right. So okay. you yeah. started doing vehicle electrification 25 years plus ago. years yes. ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So 25 years ago, Volkswagen was working on electric cars. That's right. Um, wow. So, um, so, so one <laughs> one of the old, I mean one of the first cars that I drove uh, at Volkswagen, um, it was a Golf, and um, that was uh, powered by lead acid battery, and the power drive train was 18 kilowatts. Wow. So um, <laughs> you know, if you argue, you know, uh, what is the acceleration from zero to 60 miles per hour? So the answer is nil because <laughs> I never made it. But um, a fundamental change was then, or a fundamental decision uh, was then made, and um, it was argued that obviously the, the, the power was too little for yeah. any type of car. Yeah. Um, so effectively, then they boosted up um, the power level. So we went then to uh, 50, 75 kilowatts, and then uh, later even 250 kilowatts. Wow. And we were also one of the first one um, who used lithium-ion batteries. So there was the period of obviously lead, art, lead acid. Then we looked into nickel metal hydride. Uh, but then uh, we were one of the first one, when I say we at Volkswagen, we were one of the first one uh, which used an lithium ion battery. Oh, so we were quite proud of it. And that was a 150 kilowatt power drive time. Because they're all, they're, I mean, they're kind of you know, rightly or wrongly, because of various things to do mm. with diesel engines, Volkswagen are kind mm. of not yeah. necessarily seen as being the leader in electrification right now. Correct. But clearly, that it's been on the corporate radar there yes. for a long, long, yes. long long time yes that's right so when i worked at volkswagen the division that i worked for um, existed basically in order to monitor the technology yeah. uh, we built obviously various um, uh, prototypes but also fleets yeah. and um, we existed just because in case legislation is changing so that we are ready for it yeah. but you're right i mean um, obviously volkswagen is selling diesel car yeah. that is where the money is yeah. um, but we all know um, there has been now a change yeah. uh, not even at volkswagen effectively all oems uh, are thinking now uh, obviously in making green machines um, we assume or we hope that they are green uh, so that means they make now electric cars and um, Going back, obviously, to Volkswagen now is, as you know, that Volkswagen will have by six or seven years, I think, a well, 25 different electric cars. Yeah. And um, also quite interesting to see is um, that most car manufacturers think about the platform approach. Yeah. And as you perhaps know, with the combustion engine powered car, you have effectively one platform and have different engines. Yeah. Um, but then you have different what we call huts. So let's say a Golf uh, has then also, um, a it, it, you know, it's like from the Skoda point of view, if I can 
Yes, yeah, here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, that happens now on the electrification as well. So you have effectively a chassis uh, with specific uh, type of batteries with a specific type of power drivetrain, which you can manipulate slightly. Um, but then you get a high variation of different cars. So this is um, the so MEB platform that Volkswagen are sharing about. That's the, what they are discussing. Yes. Yeah, it's um, been been interesting to see. And, and, and I, I mean, I got personally, I think that the dedicated EV platform is the right kind of approach because there always seems to be too many compromises when mm. you do a conversion. Mm. Um, you, you, you don't end up with a very good solution, but uh, it's going to be really interesting to see those products. If they're half as good as some of the um, PR and marketing mm. of the p products that are coming on the MEV platform, I think it's going to do really, really well. The, uh, really exciting to see that over the next couple yeah. of years. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, um, uh, I, 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 we, we'll see a radical change. Uh, uh, we, we, we know that effectively all OEMs are having already electric cars on the market. Yeah. And um, I think where, where the biggest, um, where we see the biggest improvement is uh, in cost standard range. We shall not yeah. forget about this. I mean, going back, you know, six, seven years ago, um, the battery cost was um, effectively half of the cost of the car. Um, yeah. And um, I mean, the, the cost of the battery has dropped. Mm -hmm. And there are some kind of um, research work and um, also some kind of reports which predict that in 10 years, the car of an electric car will be equal, or the price of the electric car will be equal to a combustion powered car, mm -hmm. apparently. But, you know, but it definitely goes down. Um, and also, we shall not forget that the range is going up. So, yeah. you know, going back, we had now, I don't know, 24 kilowatt hours on battery yeah. storage. Now it's on the 40. In the future, it might be 66 kilowatt hours. Yeah. So um, this is all beneficial. Um, yeah, it makes the product do what people want. Yes. And, and I guess, so coming from that very heavy automotive background, you're... Um, I guess a lot of what you do now at Newcastle or have done in the last few years at Newcastle University mm. has been very automotive related mm. or do you get involved because Newcastle work on some really big programs don't they you've, you've got that's right I mean um, so um, our group itself um, mm. works um, on you know on European funded projects on mm. projects which are funded by the British government and also from industry um, I think what makes us unique uh, is that although we're an academic uh, research group, 60% uh, of our funding comes from industry directly. Right. So we are not so much depending from funding from the government as right. such. Right. And um, we work um, heavily on the transport sector. Um, and transport obviously includes the automotive, uh, which is the biggest um, activity um, that we have. But it's also in the in the aerospace sector right. um, but then we work also um, we have also a few projects in the marine applications and um, the railway uh, too um, in fact we just uh, submitted a, a proposal uh, for a call for railway application okay. so the good thing obviously working in these different fields of transport is um, that um, how can I say that sometimes the questions are all similar <laughs> yeah. uh, but also sometimes uh, the technology that they use in one area or the other one you know you you, you can you can merge them together or you can try to apply them, you know, for these different sectors, which is quite uh, exciting. And it's interesting that sometimes if industry visits us, yeah. is it not aware of it? Of <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I do believe that um, one need to do more work perhaps in the future to bring industry from these different sectors together so that they start to communicate yeah. with each other. 
maybe on the in electrification that kind of cross over is probably more than it has been in the past when it's been very different that's requirements right. for right. engines and power sources that's and right yes like yeah i mean there, there's definitely more going on you're right ryan um and uh, I think one of the, in particular, the um, the activity in the aerospace sector and um, the automotive sector seems to slightly merge together. And right. that is just because of the announcement from um, Siemens and uh, Airbus, um, you know, to build now the first uh, 100-seater hybrid electric plane. Uh, yeah. As we know, there are already electric planes out there, but they are two-seater types, yeah, tiny, like um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the focus here uh, when we talk about hybridization of a plane is slightly different than the hybridization of a car. Okay. So in a, in a, a hybrid of a car, um, it's more uh, tailored for the city center. So acceleration, deacceleration, you recuperate energy uh, yeah. and so therefore it becomes more efficient. Um, but uh, from the plane point of view, you still need obviously your, 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 your jet propulsion um, but um, uh, the, the, the approaches here, you use many small electric motors, uh, which you're using also for propulsion and for generation. And that means that the whole um, structure of the plane can be completely reshaped. And mm. that means the aerodynamic becomes now much, much, much better. And that right. means you have uh, fuel efficiency. Um, so the approach is slightly different. But nevertheless, in the end, um, obviously, they also ask for high power density, uh, low cost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes even their specification in the um, aerospace sector, uh, you could argue slightly more harsh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there is more and more uh, cross-referencing now between these two sectors. So do you, do you think um, electrification, because actually, you know, we, we talk about electric vehicles all the time, cars and trucks and buses, and that's really, people see them now on the road. And you and I were working on them 10 plus well, in your case, 25 years ago. Yes, that's uh, right. <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll remind you of that again. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But uh, no, we've, you know, we've been working on them for a long time, but now everyone gets it. So I, I was saying to someone the other day, we, just three, four years ago, you talked about an electric car and no one got it. You know, people were like milk floats or these sort of really bad examples kept coming. But even though there's some great stuff being worked on to come, it wasn't, you know, Tesla wasn't a common sight on the road and the big OEMs hadn't fully shifted over. But now, you know, with cars, people get it. The new one, which is, is seems to be, it seems to be gathering pace quite quickly at a technology side, but you don't see anything really out there yet, is, is aerospace. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's going to come through quite quickly um, with, with hybridization in, in aircraft? Or do you think it'll be a long, slow process? How do you think it's going to go? Um. I think it may go slightly quicker than what we experience on the electric car side, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, because we should we shall not forget. You know, the the electric car is a you know it's it's, it's quite old invention. It goes back to I think 1832. Uh, there was a, a, a Scotsman. Um, you know, he came of the idea to put uh, an electric motor in a in, in a car in a carriage. It wasn't a car at this time. Yeah. Uh, he didn't put a battery in, by the way, <laughs> so it was driven by a cable. Um, but but then, you know, um, if you go through the history of cars and in the 1900, um, as you may know, is there were more electric cars in the US mm. than uh, petrol powered cars. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, then obviously it died down again. And then in the 60s and 70s, um, where we had um, the, you know, the, the smoke and then also the oil crisis, um, there were a good number of electric cars in California driven by the Californian Air Resources Board. Yeah. Um, so it has a long history. Uh, in the aerospace, um, I would say it may accelerate slightly quicker. Um, because first of all, they obviously learned from the past what the electric car went through. Yeah. Um, but I think there's more now the need for the electrification. And um, also bear in mind, there are not as many manufacturers, yeah. you know, plane manufacturers. Yeah. Uh, so effectively, um, if they decide we want to do this, then I think they will move forward. And is, is it a legislation thing? Is it to do with CO2 or is it saving money on fuel? Or um, I think it is, as far as I understood, is that um, it's driven basically by Airbus and I'm pretty sure that the uh, Americans or Boeing will do the same. Um, one of the reasons is that in China, um, there's the first manufacturer who will now build commercial planes. Okay. And so they believe that they perhaps will undercut um, the price. Yeah. So therefore, you need to answer with, uh, you know, new technology. And yeah. if you now develop a plane, which is obviously much, much more fuel efficient, um, so there um, is uh, a way to sell or to keep in business. So yeah. that is one of the driving force. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So maybe the actually the threat of a bit of Chinese competition is driving some innovation. Yes. That's, uh, that's that's interesting. Yes. So so you're clearly at Newcastle. Then you you're doing a lot of work on really high high power density, high performance motors and drives and that kind of thing. Yes. Do you do you feel like um, do you have a kind of particular specialist pet topic or um, like you used to be the guys for segmented staters? Yeah. That was a real. Newcastle so has, been, has been a while ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we moved on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what you know? What are your kind of big te tech areas? Well, I mean, bear in mind. Obviously, um, it is a large group, and mm. um, first of all, as sixty percent of our funding is comes from industry, um, we see ourselves as a partner for industry to work with them together. And yeah. every industrial partner, as you know, has different problems and we try to solve with them yeah. problems. So the requests varies. Um, yes, we do obviously research and um, in terms of, um, let's say, trends. Um, so if I bring it into the context of um, the electrification, then um, one aspect is, uh, for instance, uh, you know, the wireless charging. Um, okay. So, um, as we all know, the, the biggest problem, I think, for the uh, electrification or, uh, is, uh, you know, you need to have, obviously, the, the, the power available to charge in, uh, your electric car. Yeah. And as we know, at the moment, we live in the world where we have three, seven kilowatts, 50 kilowatts, and a little bit above 110. Yeah. But... Um, as the energy density of the battery goes up, we need obviously more power. Mm. And um, in Europe, they built now the 350 kilowatt charger, and there is even the demand of 500 kilowatt charging point. Wow. And that is a half megawatt, yeah. That's a big cable. Uh, it's a big cable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if uh, the individual uh, will still, you know, plug it in <laughs> or if it's in an automated robot system. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so the bottom line is, however, we need to obviously transfer um, the power, um, you know, to these individual charging stations yeah. and um, the whole infrastructure, you know, needs to be looked at. That is what we do as well. Yeah. Um, but also it is not even building, you know, putting cables in. It's also, you know, balancing then the power 
you know, if, if, if you think about you're on a highway and um, then you go on the, um, the petrol station or the highway petrol stations, how many pumps do you have? 20 perhaps, right, on one side. So yeah. now convert them in 20 500 kilowatt charging points. Um, that is a lot of power. And when they all <laughs> demand at the same time this yeah. kind of uh, power, then um, you need to balance the grid. And th there are quite a lot of hurdles uh, to take. So that is one aspect uh, that we do. But going back to the wireless one, one answer could be, for instance, um, the wireless charging, what we call the dynamic road charging. Okay. So you put effectively coils in the road. You have a coil in the car. Yeah. And then continuously you charge um, the electric car. All right. Um, so that is uh, one aspect. Um, Does that work? Is that well, it works. Yes, I mean, I mean, uh, I mean very. I mean, you just need to go to South Korea. Um, so uh, Kaist, for instance, uh, they have buses running um, right. on on this principle, and um, there are um, other. Um, prototypes uh, which are operating. Yeah. There are obviously challenges. Uh, the biggest challenge is the electromagnetic interference that you produce. Yeah. And that limits you in terms of the power that you can transfer. Um, uh, there are other challenges too, but perhaps the biggest um, uh, non-technical one is the cost. Right. Um, so um, I think having this type of highway system, for instance, will bring you easily, I would say, maybe five, six million pounds per mile um, of one highway stretch, which is uh, quite, quite yeah, a lot. Significant, yeah. But there is also, and that is another project that we work on, another alternative, and uh, we call it a trucked electric vehicle one. Right. So where you have effectively conductive dynamic road charging. So it's okay. going slightly back to the railroad industry. Yeah. Um, so there are uh, publications out uh, which you can read. So Siemens and uh, Volvo and uh, even uh, Honda working yeah. on these systems where you pick up the power where you have effectively in the road um, like a metal stripe, let's call it, yeah. right? And then you have a shoe which glides over the metal stripe. Obviously, yeah. it's energized. And this way, you can put quite a lot of power through. I think uh, Honda, in the latest uh, publication, um, claimed 450 kilowatts with uh, 200 kilometers per hour. Basically a big scale electrics car. <laughs> yes, you can say it on a yeah. very large scale, uh, but obviously it has its own challenges. Um, yeah. But this is an alternative to wireless charging because it's cheaper. And right. you can use quite a lot of um, synergies from the railway industry. Right. So um, there's a benefit in it. Right. And then, and that, I mean, well, so, so pretty, they're huge areas in themselves. And then on electrical machines, in, you, 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 you have a big, you have lots of people actually doing work on um, e-machine design. That's and, right. Yeah. Okay. So on the electric uh, drives, um, we, you know, first of all, there's obviously the move from, from the converter point of view to replace silicon with silicon carbide and maybe gun devices. Yeah. Um, so we have work in this area. We also work in um, in-wheel motors, uh, yeah. for instance. Um, the, 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 the principles of the classical machines, they are all there, like, you know, switch reluctance machine and uh, PSM machine, uh, synchronous machines and transversal flux machine. Yeah. So uh, we are always looking for obviously new materials, new machine design. Um, I mean, there is no new radical new <laughs> type uh, of uh, machine, um, you know, uh, out there. 
uh, but it's always uh, an improvement and um, it's amazing how much you can do. I mean, the, if, if, from an outsider, a motor always looks round and you can always ask yourself, what, what <laughs> yeah. more can you improve? You know, yeah. you uh, deal with copper and then uh, uh, laminations and some magnets. Magnets is obviously a hot topic. As we know, um, the, the neodym, 97% of the neodym is held in uh, China. And so yeah. therefore China can dictate the price. And uh, the, our goal is obviously to uh, make machines without uh, these magnets uh, in order to get the same power density yeah. that you normally achieve with uh, neodym-powered motors. So is that going into kind of switch reluctance or using kind of ferrite-based? Ferrite-based, we look into this, uh, obviously switch reluctance too. Um, then the classical, you know, synchronous machine. Um, right. And, um, you know, there some OEMs, you know, may go back to the induction machine. It builds slightly bigger, obviously. Yeah. Um, but then, you may get um, other benefits um, as we all know that um, the uh, French manufacturer they used also the electric motor as a charger for the car for static charging yeah, right, because you use the electric motor as a transformer then right right yeah. so that so basically one aspect uh, which is yeah. I would not say novel um, but um, which becomes more and more popular is uh, what we call um, multifunctionality yeah. So, um, as you know, um, we have the electric power drive train and at the moment it's just to use to spin the wheels and to recuperate energy. But you yeah. can also use now this drive train um, to charge the battery when your car is static, right? Um, so that means you would save a complete charging unit in the car. And you can play this game in all directions um, with other electronics um, and machines that you have in a car. Right. Um, so that means um, you give a unit more functions without obviously redesigning completely the unit. And there is quite a lot of savings to make. I guess that makes sense because a battery charger is basically an AC to DC converter and a a traction motor inverter is effectively a DC to AC converter. So it's so kind of you can you can go even further. The battery management system itself is yeah. power electronics. So you could also use a battery management system as a charging unit. Yeah. So you charge the battery management system becomes a charger on its own. So you don't need again uh, a separate charger. I did see the I mean the Tesla Model Three. The um, they've got this lovely. Uh, I think they call it a penthouse on the back of the battery pack, which mm. has the DC-DC converter and the battery charger built in, but it's very, very integrated yes. into the battery pack. Uh, then they, the, 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 the Renault Chameleons fascinated me for a long time, and I, I think they've got some really interesting IP around that, but it, it's a, mm. I don't know if, if other people will be able to come up with similar things without treading on that IP, but that, that kind mm. of use mm. of the traction inverter as a charger mm -hmm. Um, you know, seems to there's some compromises, but actually there's a big saving there in terms of getting rid of a very expensive exactly. component. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I didn't realise that that was reliant on having uh, an induction motor. So Not necessarily. Uh, I mean, you can you can use it to differ, uh, different motor types. You can right. you know use it for obviously a switch reluctance mode machine, which be perhaps might be more beneficial to some degree. But then you know it's a pros and cons with every ah, concept, okay. as you know. Right. Yeah. So. Um, all I'm saying is we are still obviously continuing to look into new cooling systems, for instance, and, yeah. and, and, and then high integration. So, you know, to get the power electronics as, in, as integrated as possible in, uh, in the space of the electric motor by right. sharing the cooling, for instance. And um, yeah, so that is um, work that we do. 
what we shall also not forget is, um, and that goes slightly again to the the smart grid which I mentioned earlier, which we would need in order to distribute all the power. That is what we call vehicle to grid charging. Yeah. So that um, effectively the batteries of the car stabilize the grid. Now this is a quite interesting um, research topic too. And in fact, uh, in the UK, um, there has been t several projects now launched, yeah. um, some in Newcastle, but also in Birmingham, where they look into um, you know the, the, the technology um, but also obviously in the user behavior because it might mean, you know, if you charge your car, you, yeah. you always think obviously the, the battery is not full, but when you come, you know, it's just maybe only half full or 60%. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it opens up so many other opportunities. Um, for instance, if vehicle to grid would come, then you effectively as a, as a owner of the car sell energy to the grid provider. Yeah. So you become effectively a business person and uh, set the price by <laughs> with, by when you want to sell the energy. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, that whole the grid reinforcement and things like, you know, a lot of companies at the moment have uninterruptible power supplies mm -hmm. on site, mm -hmm. and, and I've seen people doing business models where they, you know, they like one one level is in the past we used to own our UPSs. Now we're not going to, someone else will own them and operate them, but then basically they run that as a business that sometimes it's a UPS and sometimes it's providing grid support. Mm -hmm. But then I've seen another, so the next level is, but we don't even have a physical UPS. We have the ability to kind of call on spare capacity in local electric vehicles. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's quite like the possibilities are not quite endless, yes, but there's, yes. there's so, it must be quite hard sometimes to almost pick um, pick a particular area to really drill down and, mm. and focus on. Mm. Is that is that something that you have to do, or is it, are you sort of led by your industrial? Well, it, uh, yeah, mostly it's mostly the industrial partner knows what they want. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, and then obviously we try to guide them and and, and come up with a solution, a way forward. Um, yeah. So it's quite rarely when the company says you know do whatever you want, and <laughs> so yeah. no, um, mostly they have. A problem or a challenge or they want us to look into a specific direction we advise them obviously um, with our experience sometimes maybe not to go this direction right. on, rather than putting the money on the table and then we say we think it's not the right step forward right. Um, yeah so, so given where things are at, at the minute with electrification of everything so we, yeah. we talk about aircraft and uh, cars and there's robotics and you know your group must be in really big demand is it is it growing um, in terms of the number of researchers or is that? Well, it is uh, for sure when I became head of uh, group, um, you know, we were not 100 people, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, we, yeah, I mean, we are quite successful in, um, you know, getting, well, attracting money, if you like. Um, so recently um, uh, with uh, Sheffield University, um, we got the manufacturing hub, mm. uh, which is looking into machine design, manufacturing, mm. um, and also looking into the aspect how do you need to design the motor so that you can uh, save money on the manufacturing end, for instance. Right. right? Um, then uh, just hot from the press, if you like, it was last week on Monday, uh, the government uh, announced um, the new doctoral training centers yeah. uh, in the UK. And I'm pleased that uh, my group um, received uh, a doctoral training center in power electronics for sustainable electric propulsion, 
Okay, only cool. only for electric cars and the aerospace industry. Oh, wow. um, so with um, yeah, 20 industrial partners, um, we are now um, training new well, leaders in yeah. the field of um, power electronics and electric drives. And um, our training program is quite unique. And I think that is the reason why it has been selected. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is that we do not only want to provide, obviously, in-depth knowledge um, like the classical modules that you normally teach like power electronics machines um, mm. but um, there's more to it so they will learn for instance about manufacturing they will learn um, about materials yeah. uh, they will also learn about business and how to set up a, a company for instance um, and they will also have at the beginning quite a lot of practical um, training units yeah and uh, after um, the first year, then they will spend the remaining three years with the industrial partner to do the um, thesis research. Okay. And uh, yeah, we're looking uh, forward basically to ramp up uh, the numbers of students. So the minimum, what uh, we expect is 50, but I do think over the next eight and a half years, we will certainly have 80 or 90. And and they'll be all working towards a PhD? They will all work towards a PhD, correct, wow. yes. And that's, that's quite... Um, like 50 people doing a PhD in power electronics specifically for automotive. I mean, that's massive. <laughs> you, you say it's massive, but bear in mind um, the, the the statistics um, are slightly different because there, you know, there's a shortage on skills, in, yes, in, as yeah, you yeah. perhaps know as well. I mean, everybody is <laughs> trying to get hold of uh, yeah. experts. And um, therefore, I think the number is relatively small. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, don't forget, obviously, 50 people. I mean, how many um, companies do we have who make electric cars here and who, you know, work in the tier, as a yeah. tier one and tier two, obviously, you as well. And so, therefore, the number is relatively small. So, therefore, I do hope that we will ramp it up more and more. Yeah. And um, important also is for us that will become completely sustainable so that not the government in the end pumps money into it. Yeah. So we want that industry all together come, you know, basically sponsors these students. And uh, we have um, fantastic networks already enrolled for our CDT, right. uh, like, for instance, the Power Electronics UK, uh, also Innovate UK, the IET even uh, supports us. Wow. Yeah, I, I think there might have been like one <laughs> person doing a PhD in, uh, you know, vehicle electrification stuff, uh, you know, 15 years ago. This uh, yeah. 50s, I guess the problem, me getting all optimistic, but the problem is thousands of, um, of engineers and professionals not you know, so it's kind of like a good step, but it's a small step and a lot more needs to come. It is, it is. And um, I, I mean, overall, um, I think the numbers of um, engineers, uh, I mean, is constant. Obviously, we would like to have more engineers in this country right? yeah, uh, because there's always a higher demand and higher need. And obviously, in particular, we would like to have, see more more women in, 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 yeah. in, in this discipline, too. Yeah. So we... This CDT is uh, certainly set up that um, that y your background in order to be on the CDT on this one is not necessarily that you have an electrical engineering degree. Okay. So um, we have what we call a cohort training based right. uh, approach. So we deliberately want someone with electrical background, someone with mechanical material, mm. um, big data, a scientist. So we, okay. we, 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 we bring together people from different backgrounds and mm. we, 
I think that is a very good way forward, how you learn from each other yeah. and you learn, you know, you learn these different disciplines uh, yeah. from each other, uh, which is much more effective than, you know, me as a lecturer teaching someone. Yeah. Um, so that is one one approach. And um, uh, yeah, I do hope that this is quite exciting um, for for the young generation. And yeah. uh, we are just now in the process of setting it up. Um, and um, so by the 1st of I April, it should become live and uh, yeah then from there we will target obviously the individual students who are interested but also industry and uh, we will make ourselves much more seen and yeah. our voice much more heard but it is necessary for the UK to have this center. Um, That's fascinating that I, I, I missed that to be honest I, I thought it was all about um, the sort of elect, you know electronics engineers basically mm. electrical mm. but big all sorts of different which yes. of course you need particularly with the way things are going with things like um, AI and machine learning exact, exact, and self-driving exact, yeah. and these things all end up converging, yes. uh, you know, even sort of human behaviours and psychologists and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. yeah, but you're right, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you, you, you know, you, you have experts on machines and, you know, power converters, so they, they already need to communicate. Yeah. So in order to communicate effectively, you need to have a little bit of an understanding of the other subject. Yeah. And exactly that is what we uh, provide. So right. you get a very broad, on one hand, obviously, a very detailed one in terms of you still learn the classical subject. But yeah. then you get uh, a very broader contents as well. And then you have the cohort. So the, these people with all these different disciplines. Yeah. So I think it's quite exciting. Well, I'm looking forward, obviously, to run it. And, oh, that uh, sounds great. Yes. And, and, and you still get, um, I was going to say get your hands dirty, but that, that's probably not fair to the undergraduates. Um, you, you do undergraduate. Yes, as well. Yeah, do you find time for teaching? Uh, yeah, we do. I mean, and um, obviously with the undergraduates, it's always slightly, sometimes a little bit of competition with the mechanical engineering. It seems right. to be like in coming in wave. So if mechanical is up, electrical is down, and then electrical is up and mechanical is down. So yeah. <laughs> I don't, I never understood why. Um, I think overall, um, I personally, I would like to see more people doing engineering yeah and I think we as a society should should basically advertise engineering as as something which is good and yeah. um, one challenge I think here in the country is um, the word the engineer yeah as you know um, so um, you know basically everybody can call themselves an engineer yeah. um, and um, I think there's something what we need to change somehow you know we uh, we need to say how exciting actually engineering yeah. is and could be and um, also as I said it's not only for the male people you know women are equally good and sometimes even much much better yeah and uh, we need to address uh, the whole aspect of bringing women more into STEM yeah. and I think it needs to start on on the school level yeah. already and it's our responsibility, so industry, but also us at the university to go to school and basically promote more engineering. Yeah. Do, is it a challenge? Because I, I, I mean, I see that the, the, the courses have grown and I know that, so when I went to university, basically to do engineering, they were so desperate for people to go <laughs> study engineering. You right. could almost yeah. fail your exams and they mm. let you in. Mm. Um, so it was kind of... Um, you know, it's very different then, but now it, it's uh, actually the entry requirements are way up. Uh, I know there's a couple of the courses I'm involved in, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're very demanding now in terms of the entry requirements to get onto an engineering course. It, your, your course at Newcastle's grown 
uh, quite a bit. But then I, I do hear some universities say basically they can't afford to grow their engineering courses because it's it's so expensive to teach uh, compared to something like business yeah. um, and the, the way the funding works and things. Is that is, is is actually there a challenge there in terms of gr growing the supply of the, yes. of, of the teaching? Um, it, it is. I think you need to be flexible. Um, so um, our university uh, or our faculty has just seen a restructuring process to address this. Um, right. So um, the restructuring process is in a way that historically we had um, up to 10 schools and um, they have been or some of them have been merged to one larger school. Right. And uh, one aspect is to obviously um, on one hand run the university more efficient but also um, to provide now a bigger pool um, of uh, academics who then can teach different subjects, but also um, provide new subjects too, uh, right. which are important for the students. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I think um, we, the university itself need to adapt, obviously, to the, you know, in, in, in order to increase, you need to adapt and you need to come up with new lecture methods with new way of even how you um, assess students uh, yeah. but also um, you need to be uh, more fresh in order to bring students from different disciplines together I think that is the best yeah. way forward yeah it's yeah <coughs> difficult I guess and then the other sort of challenge is then as you as you scale up so that we need more engineers but then you can't sort of dilute the quality by scaling it up mm. and, and and i've got to say in the past so when when, when you and i became engineers yeah. maybe a little bit differently in the uk to germany mm -hmm. but you had to really want to do it because yeah. it was you know like literally in primary school you would be getting picked on because yes. you were interested in science <laughs> and maths yeah. you know <laughs> whereas now it's quite cool you know the right. kids are my kids certainly they're very proud of science and mm -hmm. the, the school makes a big fuss about mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff it's it's really changed but then you've got people doing it. So if you wind back sort of 20 years, people, you had to really, really, really want to do it. Whereas now it's something that, it, you know, there's a wider group being yeah. drawn into it. Mm. You, know, you wonder if that's going to dilute the, the... Maybe, I think sometimes, but that's my personal opinion, I may be completely wrong here. Um, I think it has something to do with the fees. Right. Because um, once, um, obviously, the government increased the fees, um, there are, were quite a lot of students who effectively want to go want to go into different directions. Well, nothing to do with engineering. Yes. But then maybe with the degree what they get out of it, you know, they may not get any job. Yeah. So consequently, then they decided, okay, I do a degree in engineering, then I get at least a job. Yeah. But the bottom line is their heart is not in it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, they may. I mean, the, the first thing, the worst case scenario is they may not make it. Yeah. Uh, right, because they, they see suddenly, well, it's not for me, really. Yeah. And then they drop out, and that is obviously not what, what nobody wants. Um, but then, in the end, uh, what we also don't want is that we have uh, engineers who just became engineers because of the fees, and because they think they get a better job opportunity afterwards, which is true. But the bottom line is we really want passionate people. And... Um, in order to make it passionate, it's not only the responsibility of the student, <laughs> but it's also yeah. the responsibility of us. Yes. We need to yeah. explain, basically, in much more deep, not more detail, but in a, maybe in a different way, 
um, how you know how good is engineering and what yeah. can you achieve and you know it's so versatile and um, you I don't know you can go abroad and you can travel if you want uh, and also you know you you can effectively work obviously in different disciplines afterwards because quite often mostly students think well once you finish you know you work in research or development yeah but it's not true isn't it I mean there's yeah. so many other stuff you go and go in technical sales in the manufacturing and, yeah. and, 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 and other sectors in the service sector that's all where we need engineers as long as you don't do what some people do, some of my friends even have done, um, where they studied for engineering and then they became accountant. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> because actually, I mean, you make a good point about the engineering as a degree. Actually, you, you, you can, it's a very good sort of multi-purpose degree. And, and the, the big accountancy firms and law firms and uh, investment banks and things actually seek to recruit engineers mm -hmm because basically they're numerically literate um, mm -hmm. and, you know, you can drive a spreadsheet. Yes, <laughs> uh, that's right. You get, get stolen to go to the dark side. That's right, that's right yeah. yeah. Maybe, yeah, the people whose heart's in it, maybe that's, yes. we need to make sure they do go that way. Well, I mean, the, the main reason is also, I mean, we should no, not forget. I mean, I guess an, perhaps another reason why they went there is because the salaries are might be slightly higher than <laughs> in engineering. But yeah. that is something, you know, which needs to be looked at in this country too. I think sometimes engineers need to be slightly higher valued in terms obviously of um, their salary. I understand, you know, for every company it's difficult, yeah. um, but you know, um, it is quite clear if, if the salary would be higher, then you know, you automatically attract also more people. Yeah. Um, but the bottom line is uh, whatever the salary is, um, you know, um, I think you should only do the job that you really like. Yeah. Um, because that is what counts most. Yeah, definitely. You you spend such a, such a big amount of your life at work. Yeah, and, exactly. Know, <laughs> why do you speak, why do a job? Twenty five years, you see. <laughs> do you do you get? Um, is there anything coming on your side on degree apprenticeships? Is yes, we do run already the degree apprenticeship. Ah, okay, yes, right. So that is running um, since last year. So it's relatively new. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, obviously, quite exciting times, um, and. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we need to learn also how it works, well, effectively or efficiently. Um, but yeah, it's running now. And uh, we're looking forward, uh, you know, to obviously go through the cohort or go with this cohort together through the right. system. Yeah. So just for anyone who's not in the UK or who is in the UK, who doesn't know what a degree apprenticeship is, because it's, it's quite mind-numbingly complicated um, unnecessarily. What the government did a few years ago was they took... Um, basically really trying to push um, these things called degree apprenticeships so that's an uh, that's an apprenticeship like you would normally have where you're based with a company but then the idea is it goes right through to degree level and they've actually it's, it always strikes me as being a little bit strange that there's there's a lot of fees and there's sort of complication applied to being a normal undergraduate and studying a degree mm -hmm. but they've actually put a, a lot of funding into these degree apprenticeships so it's almost like they're trying to sort of encourage people to go that mm -hmm. route um, rather than just do a regular undergraduate degree um, and, and you get the, a lot of the same benefits and the, yeah. instead of basically as a, if you're a, a young student and you're looking at the two opportunities you can go and pay quite a lot of money to be an undergraduate and have the undergraduate life um, or you can um, be paid normally to do a degree apprenticeship it takes a little bit longer than the regular Not route 
and you know it, it's probably harder work I think for the individual because you are working and studying and stuff all at the same time so it's like a full-time job and then yeah. some but you get used to it yeah and you get paid yeah you, know, yeah, you don't come out with yeah, yeah. Uh, £50,000 right. right. <laughs> yes. you come out and you've probably already started to buy your first car and yeah. maybe have a nice apartment somewhere or something uh, so it's quite a big um, it's quite a big difference yeah. and the, the, the one of the challenges has been though there's all this funding came about and everyone got really enthusiastic about mm -hmm. it but then nothing really happened in terms that's right. of that's right yeah so it's, it's I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, know yeah, yeah. No. Uh, I mean, it it also takes a little bit of time to set it up. Yeah. Uh, in fairness, um, but yeah, I think uh, much more should or needs to be done. You know, um, more themes like this one should be basically offered. Yeah. Um, and maybe there are other any kind of hybrid combinations that yeah. you can uh, think about it. Um, and I'm pretty sure they will come. Um, uh, but at the moment, yeah, so we are learning with it uh, as well, and we are quite excited, and uh, let's let's see how it goes. Yeah, okay, cool. So so basically, um, just checking the time, we, we wrap up now, but what's the what's getting you most excited about this next couple of years in, in electrification and what's going on at the minute? What are you, what are you most excited about? To be honest, everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's, uh, I mean, obviously, it's Nothing it's bad. amazing to see, you know, you know, when I drove basically an 18 kilowatt <laughs> powered Golf, yeah. and now you have the Formula E and, you know, supercars, you know, which are uh, electric. I mean, to see uh, the transition, um, that that is exciting. And, you know, think about it now, the next 25 years, Hopefully it will still be here. Uh, but for the next 25 years, if we would see the same transition again, you know, it, it would be how would these cars look like? And, yeah. um, you know, it's um, it's yeah, I mean, it's very exciting. So I cannot actually pinpoint any kind of technology. Um, for me, it's always a, the whole package. I, I can get excited about quite a lot of things. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking forward, you know, what the future brings, uh, how electric it will be, and hopefully it will be fully electric by then. Yeah. And um, there, I do know there are so many hurdles still to take, and that's uh, the challenge that I like to take on with my group. And um, what yeah. do you think the biggest challenge is or biggest hurdle? What's the What's the big What's the biggie? I mean, I think the biggie for me, uh, I would argue, is um, it is the grid. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you need to you need to have you know I mean you you can have obviously these electric cars everywhere, but you need to charge them. You need to stabilize the grid. You need to the, we need to think about somehow you know who's paying for it and how do we stabilize it. And bear in mind, we shall not forget obviously the cars are only green so long they are powered by wind power and solar power and yeah. nuclear although some people argue it's not the case but you know <laughs> yeah. um so yeah. long we still have obviously coal station and uh, gas station which um, contribute to the electric mix yeah um then we need to be careful you know um yeah. in terms of emissions yeah no yeah absolutely it's massive challenge massive challenge mm -hmm. to get right mm -hmm. um, so pe keep you and i busy for another 25 years yes. i would think yes. yeah so <laughs> maybe in 25 years we sit here together brilliant oh, thank you uh thanks volker that's been really um that's been really good fun thanks very much for coming in and talking to us okay thanks for inviting me okay. thank you so i hope you enjoyed today's podcast um as ever, please leave us a, a, a comment, um, hit like, and a rating. It really helps um, the show reach more people. 
If you've got any specific questions that you'd like us to answer or any topics that you think would make interesting future podcasts, then also please feel free to drop us a line. Uh, that really helps. We've got some really exciting new shows coming. So as ever, thanks for taking the time to listen and I look forward to speaking to you soon.